Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. Come on, somebody. <laughs> says this, therefore, let all of us who are, everybody say this word out loud. Mature. Come on, everybody shout mature. mature. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you do think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20 says this, brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be Infants in regard to evil and adults, every shout adult, in your thinking. This is the Bible's way to tell us to start do adulting, okay? <laughs> Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 through to 13, it says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers. And he goes on to say this, so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. Every shout mature. Every shot mature? Sure. James chapter one, verses two through to four says this, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Be pumped that things are hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect that you may be what? Sure. That you may be what? Sure. And complete, lacking nothing. Ephesians chapter four, verse 13 says this, and he Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. This is what we call the fivefold ministry. And this is why he gave church leaders and people who are building the, lo the local house to do this right here, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the first one, all right? To build up the body of Christ. That's the second one. Until we all reach unity in the faith. Come on. And in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into every shall maturity with a stature, look how it's measured, by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Last one, this is Jesus speaking. Watch what he says in Matthew 5, verse 48. It says this, be perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How many of you right now in this moment kind of go, yeah, I don't know so much about that one. <laughs> Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Today, as we continue on in our series, This Side of Heaven, I want to speak to you from this subject right here. Just be perfect. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's the name of the message. Just be perfect. If we, as we look at God's will and intention for our lives, this side of heaven, will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we thank you for your word. I pray right now that uh, it would be your words in my mouth, not mine. Um, God, today as we collectively come together to receive from the authority of your word, yeah. I pray right now that the seeds that are being put out right now would fall upon soft hearts, hearts that are able to receive the seed of your word, and in doing so that it would take root, that it would grow, and that it would yield fruit in each of our lives. I thank you for your word, that it's powerful and has the ability to transform us from the inside out. We love you. We look to you today, the author and the finisher of our faith, in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, in the church shouted. Amen. Church shouted. Amen. How many of you agree with me? Show of hands. Okay, participation moment. How many of you agree with me? Words and the de definition of those words are important. Okay, so we can all agree definition is super important. I uh, was having a conversation with uh, Pastor Seth. He's one of our, our staff pastors here a little, little while ago, and then our staff's been able to communicate about this uh, this reality, but we, we were just talking in general, and he used a term 
Um, that, and I'm pretty good with words. I know words. I spend a lot of time studying words. And, and I love actually the dictionary. I'll just read the dictionary so I can find big words to throw in my message every now and then and stump you. Okay? It's fun. It's like a game that I play. Um, but he said, he said the other day we were in a conversation and he goes, yeah, like, in a, like it's indefinite. And I said, so forever. And he goes, no, that's not what that means. Some of you are like losing your mind right now because you're like, I thought indefinite meant forever, right? It's not what it means, Gene. Um, so, <laughs> so we got into it. And he's like, okay, in sports, for instance, if somebody's placed on injured reserve for an indefinite amount of time, it could be two days or it could be two years. Indefinite simply means an undisclosed amount of time, but it does not mean forever. How many of you know there's a lot of stuff that happens, a lot of contention that happens, a lot of frustration that happens when we don't have clarity on words? When we don't have the definition of, of something, we don't understand what something means. Without definition, we lose the potency of a word. Without definition, we lose the intention of a word. Without definition, we lose the meaning of a word. Without definition, we lose the direction and the clarity of that word. I believe that that is what has happened to many of the words that are used and expressed to us in and through Scripture. As definition has become less sought after, words have lost their original meaning and have been hijacked and weaponized to do something they were never meant to do. They've been used to burden, they've been used to shame, rather than to lift up and to set free. Come on, somebody. So Jesus says to you and I in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. To which I can already feel it in the room. Everybody's excited to be at church until I read that scripture. <laughs> the tension mounts, the defense kicks in. We start doing everything in our, in our mind to deal with the assertion that seems so absolute and to the point, one that if we're honest, we disagree with and push back on. Because we've been told a lot of us I don't have to be perfect. Come on. Jesus loves me. He's forgiven me. He has grace for me. I don't have to be perfect. So I come into church with all these blue lights, some sound, some people that are shouting with their hands up, and you're telling me to just be perfect. Yes. We'll work into it. I've heard it so many times from people. This is about relationship, not religion. I do not have to be perfect. And most of the time we say this in order to justify the sin that we are entangled in or to lower the standard of behavior that we want to engage in and still be considered a Christian. Because the truth is, is that we love the idea of Christianity, but not the implications of it. Y'all with me right now? Until we understand the definition of a word. The word that these sections of scripture that we read in the beginning and then right here in Matthew 5, 48 is a very specific word and it's the Greek word teleos, which translated into English gives us the understanding of growth, maturity, reaching its end or purpose, complete without lack, finished. It's an action word. It's a progressive word that denotes movement and advancement in our lives. It's a word that helps us understand that we have been called, here it is, we've been called to holiness this side of heaven. We've been called to holiness this side of heaven. 
So there's two types of observations that's going to be happening right now in this room. There's some of us that right now, because we don't have a firm belief in Christ, which is totally good. If you're in here, you're kind of kicking the tires on faith. You don't know what to believe, this whole Jesus thing. Somebody just tricked you into coming to church because they're taking out to lunch afterwards. It's great. I'm so glad that you're here. And I want you, like, I want you to be here. You can belong before you believe. You can hang out. You can try to figure things out. There's another group of us in here today. Those who would profess to be followers of Jesus. That's who I'm talking to. Because there is some stuff happening right now in this cultural moment that's really dangerous. And if we are not careful, we are entering into a Frankenstein type of faith that doesn't exist and that is not historically orthodox. But we've been called to holiness this side of heaven. So yes, we have not been called to be perfect as an unblemished lamb that will be placed upon a cross and killed for the sins of salvation and the huma- for humanity. That's not us. You don't have to do that. I don't have to do it. Jesus did that. Come on, somebody. All right? So we are not meant to be Jesus perfect, but according to Jesus, we are called to be perfect in a way that is different from how he found us. You see, we haven't been called. Someone needs to write this down today. This might help you out. We have not been called to live like hell and rest in heaven. We have not been called to live like hell and rest in heaven. We have been called to live lives that have been arrested by heaven. And this is Paul's argument to the Romans in chapter 6, verses 1 through to 7. Watch, watch what he writes. He says, what should we say then? Should we continue on? So this is a question. He's asking, what should we say then? Because he's dealing with an argument that was taking place from this church that he was speaking to. They're like, hey, well, because I have grace, I can just keep on living my best life. Hey. So he goes, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Watch what he says. Absolutely not. Just so we know, that's not a period. That's an exclamation point. It means he was yelling. Absolutely not. That's insanity. How can we, now listen to the language, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk, here it is, in the newness of life. Can I just ask the question, why would we continue on in my old life if I have a new life that's been given to me that I can participate in? Come on, somebody. Like, could you imagine after service today, guys, just so you all know, we have a special gift for everybody, not just first-time guests, everybody. We have a brand-new Range Rover out front waiting for you. Keys. Uh-huh. Even if you don't like a Range Rover, you're going to still take it. Right? Brand-new Range Rovers out there, fully, just decked out, kitted. Like, just, it's yours. Take it. Here's the keys. Could you imagine if you, as you walked out, you're like, nah, I think I'm good with my Prius. Not that I'm against Prius, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm using it as an illustration to kind of show you, like, does this make sense? Why would you turn down the new gift to live in the old one? In order that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For we have been united with him in the likeness of death. We will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died, 
who has died is freed from sin. So if that's not a strong enough, can we work through the Bible today? If that's not a strong enough or clarifying section of Scripture, let's go a little bit further. Two of Paul's earliest letters were written to the church at Thessalonica, known as First and Second Thessalonians. Today, this is a region that's very real, okay, of the Eastern world that would be known as Thessaloniki. Being second in population to Athens, Thessalonica was a strategic location during the First World War. And throughout the duration of the war, it would eventually be captured by the Germans in World War II, with a remaining population of 60,000 plus Jewish people being exported and executed. The Thessalonians would know affliction in a way like no other. Not just in that moment in World War II, but dating back long before that mass genocide. It would be a main topic of the letters to the Thessalonians as they would face hardship and have to deal with endurance in the midst of difficult situations. Faith and affliction. And this, is, this is hard for a lot of us, right? And as many of us know, pain and affliction have the ability to deter us from our faith and cause us to abandon the very thing that brings comfort, peace, and shelter to our hearts. You ever notice that? We have a tendency to be pushed by frustration. Paul's aim was to encourage the Thessalonians by grounding them in strong doctrine and truth because hardship has a way of causing us to abandon orthodoxy. Have you ever noticed that before? Another main thrust of his letter was to encourage these people in living lives of holiness in the midst of a shifting culture with different ideologies and philosophies taking shape and form within society and culture. And just so you know, the reason I'm working through this, if you're new with us today, um, it's really important that we work through this thing called context in order to understand what the Bible is saying. Because many of us have been wounded by somebody saying something without explaining where this is coming from. So we have to do, like, can I just say, uh, I just feel like it's important for me to tell you that I am committed right now more than ever to giving a stronger and more in-depth teaching on Sunday mornings so that we actually can anchor ourselves a little bit more than just feelings-based messages, okay? So I need to stand there. So if you are seeking right now, if you are in here and you're like, I don't know about this Christianity thing, I just want you to know I am so glad that you're here because we're going to work through stuff. Because I want you to have a greater space to be able to wrestle with things. Does that work? Yeah. All right. So with all that being the backdrop of Thessalonians, listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that you, that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you are doing this, watch what he says, do it even more. Yes. I love the Bible. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is God's will. Here's God's will. If you ever like, what's God's will? What does he have for me? You ever asked that question before? Yeah. It's not a crackerjack box. <laughs> Surprise, it's his will, right? That's not what he's doing. He actually says what it is. Watch what he says. Your sanctification. Yeah. That's God's will. Okay, for some of us, like, what's sanctification then? What does that mean? We'll, we'll explain it in a second. But he's going to show us now in the, in the preceding verses... Verse three is what we focus on, but he's now going to bring clarity to the areas of life that the process of sanctification will impact. It's not exhaustive, but it's still a strong list. Watch what he says, that you, can, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in, in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against 
and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. Because the Lord is an avenger of all of these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you the Holy Spirit. So I stand up here today as a pastor, as the herald of the gospel. I'm saying what God's word says, but I'm not bothered if you don't grab a hold of it. Because all of us have to reckon with this idea. Am I going to live for God or not? So the Greek word here for sanctification, another big word, is hagiosmos, which according to the Strong's Greek word study refers not to not only to the activity of the Holy Spirit in setting man apart unto salvation, but transferring him into the ranks of the redeemed and enabling him to live this life holy. All of this is the backdrop for what I'm trying to get to in these points, okay? Now, how does sanctification take place? The Bible tells us. It's really important to, to make sure we proof the Bible with the Bible, okay? 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15. Everybody with me still? There's like four of you with me. Where's the rest of you? Is everybody with me still? All right. So this is what the Bible says, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 15. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification. So there's that word again. How? By the Spirit and through the belief in truth. By the Spirit and through the belief in truth. Those are the two mechanisms. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. Truth and His Spirit. And this is in line with the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 5, 48. We work through all of this to understand this truth right here. Based upon all these scriptures, based upon Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Thessalonians, everything that we work through, here's the truth, the central truth. There is a standard for our lives this side of heaven. There's a standard for our lives this side of heaven. One author put it like this, Jesus is not frustrating his hearers with an unachievable ideal, but challenging them to grow in obedience to God's will, to become more like him. While sinless perfection is impossible, godliness and its biblical concept is attainable. So where does this put us? I wanna leave us with three really important truths that I believe we have to wrestle with if we're going to to live the life that we're called to this side of heaven. I've got three kids. I've got a, an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a three-year-old. And I love wrestling with them. The two older ones, I actually enjoy wrestling with more because they're big enough where I can just shove them around now. <laughs> right? Like they'll come running at me and I just poof, like elbow block, knock them down to the ground. You know who I don't like wrestling? My three-year-old. Here's why. She always jumps on my back, wraps her arms around my neck, gets her hands up in my face, and she won't let go. And I can't throw her off because that would be abuse. <laughs> so then I got to try to wrestle my two older kids with this like little monkey just <laughs> jumping all over me. That is the type of wrestle I'm talking about with these points as we walk out of here today. I want all three of these points to be up in your face, to be up in your grill, to be up around your neck. I want you to wrestle with them. I want you to sit down at coffee and be like, there's a monkey, right? 
want you to talk about these with your family. I want you to work through these. I want you to sit back, put a worship song on and start to jot down some thoughts because I believe that the truth of these, these points right here that we have to wrestle with are so important for us if we're gonna move into the life that God has for us. Does that work with everybody? All right, here's the, fir- here's the first point. I need your help. Come on, every shot number one. Here's the first one. We do not behave our way into beliefs. We believe our way into behaviors. Say it one more time. We do not behave our way into beliefs. We believe our way into behaviors. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. In fact, it says this. In fact, in verse 12, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. Let me say that one more time. There's gotta be a little bit more excitement on this in the room. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. Because you know who taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How many of you would agree with me that lions are awesome? Anybody like lions? Like, I'm, like lions, not liars. Um, I don't know if I said, someone told me I had an accent this morning. How many of you, show hands, would be like, lions, they're awesome, right? I remember there was this park when we lived in Arizona that you could go, um, it's like safari, out of Africa is what it's called. And so you could go in the blazing hot sun of Arizona and... You can go out to this, it's like a zoo, but for animals that could kill you. And it was awesome. So we'd go to it and you could go, and this is what was crazy. Like, so we took the kids and everything like that and uh, we're wandering around and you could see like hyenas and jackals and they have other stuff there. But I was like, get me to the lion's den. That's where I wanna go because I, I wanna see a lion. And they put these like, um, these cages, these walks that hang over where the lions are at. And they put the cages close enough that that lion can like get up at you, right? Watch grown man urinate in their pants because of this, this park. So you stand over it. And if you've ever been near a real lion, how many of you would agree with me? It's scary. It's scary, just full stop. And I remember going to this thing and you could hear their roar and you could see them. They're big, they're intimidating, they're massive. So how many of you would agree with me with this statement? How you approach a lion is important, right? Because if you know, so if I had, I tried to work this out, but it's apparently illegal. I was gonna have a lion up here. (laughs) The stage manager wasn't cool with it. If I had a real lion up here and I had a stuffed lion up here, how many of you know that the way that you approach the real lion versus the way that you approach the stuffed lion would change? Based upon, why? Here's why. Because you believe different things about the lions. See, how many of you know that you wouldn't just walk up to that lion and be like, oh, cute lion, you're so pretty. (laughs) Why? Because it would chew your face off. Full stop. Right? But you would like you would walk up to the side, it's so cute, and you'd just hop on it maybe and bring your kid up to it. See that stuff lying, it's so cute. Why? Because your behavior changes based upon your belief. 
What you believe about the real lion changes how you approach it. I'm using that as an illustration to help us understand that it's your belief that shapes your behaviors, not the other way around. Does that make sense to everybody? And this is what we are facing in Christianity right now. Facing it in spades right now across the globe as it pertains especially to this next generation of Christ followers. To be a Christ follower is to first believe in and upon Christ and the salvation and freedom that is found in him. Jesus is more than a good feeling. Jesus is more than a comfort blanket. Jesus is more than a philosophy. He is more than a religion. He is more than an ethical code. He is more than a justice project. And he is more than a feeling. Jesus is the catalyst for a total life transformation. And we are not saying yes to a nice and loving man who did some good things. We are saying yes to the one who lived a sinless life. He died upon a cross. He was placed in a grave. He got up out of that grave and he sits at the right hand of our father. Oh, his name is Jesus. And what I believe about him changes how I behave in my life. Can we get real in church today? I don't do certain things in my life because that's what good Christians do. I abstain from certain things in my life because I believe Jesus. And it's different. I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. People have asked me before, hey Jason, how come, how come you don't commit adultery? When you're wife, I've literally been asked that question multiple times. Yeah, why why wouldn't you commit adultery? How many of you know that this answer would be insane? Because it's against the rules. This is apologetics right now, so (laughs) just entertain me. How many of you know, like, if I said that to you, like, if you came up to me after service, like, how come you don't cheat on your wife? Bro, it's against the rules. You laugh because you're like, that's insanity. But that's how people approach Jesus. We try to live a faith based upon things that are for or against the rules. This is what my answer, but Jason, how come you don't cheat on your wife? Because I love my wife. You see see my point? That was my mother-in-law, by the way. (laughs) They get really excited when I talk about this. (laughs) Do you see what I'm talking about? It's really hard. See, we talked about this last week. We want religion. Many of us in here were like, we'll say the thing, like, oh, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. <laughs> we want religion because it's easy for us to go, it's against the rules. Jesus isn't offering us religion, he's offering us relationship to which we say, oh, you're a real lion. And so because of that, I am going to change my behaviors because of what I believe about you. Because when I understand you are the lion of Judah, you are the one that is and was and is to come. When I understand that about him, all of a sudden I change. Is anybody with me today? See, this is so important because many of us are trying to behave ourselves into something that we simply don't believe in. And can I just tell you, as your pastor, that will spiritually kill you. I want to set some people free today, even in reverse. See, a lot of, a lot of people can come into church, I hope this is helping, like, 
A lot of people can come into church and, and we can hear preachers and pastors say like, behave and do all these different things and everything. I wanna to submit to the, this today. Do not behave in accordance with this if you do not believe. It will kill you. And it will hate, make you hate God more. Some of you are having an existential crisis right now. Because my job is not to get behavior modification happening for our church. That's not my job. My job is to teach you about Jesus. And then you've got to work through the process of whether you believe in him or not. It will change the way that we do faith. It'll change the way you approach. I don't worship the way that I do because... I'm supposed to behave. I worship the way that I do because I'm standing before a lion. I don't sing the way that I do because that's what Christians do. Oh no, I sing the way that I do because I'm standing before a lion. I don't preach the way that I do because that's what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. Oh, right now there's a lion behind me and the only thing that I got is to make sure that I give the truth to what it is. Why? Because I'm not preaching for you, I'm preaching for him. So the question is whether we believe in the lion or not. You guys remember Narnia? Loved it when Aslan came out and everybody was like, oh, snap. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is what makes me tremble. Guys, we're not in a cultural moment anymore where we can do weak Christianity. It's the lion. The one when he roars, you have no other option but to bow. It's the one when he roars to the council of his scripture that I have no other option but to repent. It's the lion. And I think for some of us, we're teetering on faith right now because we haven't heard very many people talk like this. So we're triggered or it's offensive or this, that, or the other. And like Paul, I just stepped into something a little while ago that says, I'm not doing this for man. Monkey on your back, up in your face. Here's the second point. Christianity is not a Mr. Potato Head. Come back next week, please. <laughs> next week's gonna be awesome. We're going, we're, we're going deeper next week. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15, we read this, but remember he talks about sanctification being, being what? By the Spirit and through belief in, belief in truth. Right now there seems to be a lot of fit the pieces where we want type of Christianity. You guys remember playing with, how many of you have played with Mr. Potato Head before? Show of hands. Okay, so we have a lot of awesome people in this church. That's great. Remember playing with Mr. Potato Head and it's kind of like you get to do like what you want to do? You're like, oh, it's so cute. I'll put the nose in the eye. Right? And I'll put the leg in the ear. Right? I'll put the nose in the leg. We don't have that option with his word. 
This is not Mr. Potato Head faith. I do not get to pick and choose. Here's what it sounds like in modern day vernacular. Ah, I don't need to read the Old Testament. Doesn't matter. And technically, I don't need the New Testament. I just want the words of Jesus. So we've turned Jesus into our hippie love God. Instead of a lion. Remember Jesus' words, Matthew 5, 48? Be perfect. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect just as my Father is perfect. Let's add context. We'll work through a whole chapter of Scripture really quick. Chapter 5 starts out with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the dot, dot, dot. Peacemakers. And we all love that moment of Scripture. We're like, see? He's so good and gentle and loving. But then he bookends it with be perfect as your father. What happened to the Beatitudes guy? And in between there, between Beatitudes and be perfect, Jesus is going to systematically dismantle people's hearts as he works through one-upping the Old Testament. So he's going to go, you've heard it said, let's go there. Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, bring your Bibles. Remember the days when we used to say go in your Bibles and then, (laughs) that was awesome. Let's do that again. So it's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And then he'll say, believers are salt and light. Christ fulfills the law. And then he'll go into murder begins in the heart. And then he's going to talk about adultery, divorce, telling the truth, going the second mile, loving your enemies. He's going to work through all of these different things in Matthew chapter 5. And remember, he's booking it, and he's going to say it like this. You've heard it said, but I tell you this. You've heard it said in verse 27, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Wait a second. Here? And Jesus goes, here. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Are you, are you still with me? And he's going to say that about all these different things. So be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Yeah, I don't like that one. <laughs> Let's put that over here. Let me say this straightforward today. Historical, biblical orthodoxy is not up for grabs. And just because we have Google and we can say what we want on Wikipedia does not mean that the Bible is not the Bible and God's word is not his infallible word. Now, I'm going to add a qualifier before we get to this last point. Is that I'm fully aware that there are people that have not represented God very well. I mean, I find it insane if you're like me that God would choose us as his PR campaign in the first place. Come on, somebody. I'm like, could you have chosen somebody better? (laughs) But... There have been movements, ideologies, atrocities, injustice that have all been done by those who claim to be Christians. But can we remember that this, at the end of the day, does not excuse or, or, or it doesn't excuse and it does not allow for us to retrofit God's word in order for us to try to reconcile those issues. Yeah. Parents, you know this, because in your house, you say some things. Come on, parents, right? And if you don't have kids, just listen to this next statement. Parents, we say things in our house all the time, and our kids do the complete opposite. Right? 
My kid is 11 years old right now. He's eaten breakfast every morning for 11 years. Same pattern. Son, did you have breakfast this morning? No, Dad. I thought I told you to have breakfast. Yeah, I forgot. You forgot to eat? Yeah, forgot to eat. Why? Well, I was getting this and doing this. And interesting, we do the same thing with God. Y'all getting quiet on me in this Presbyterian church today. (laughs) The truth is that there's still truth. And the reason that this last season has gotten so many of us shook up on our truth is because we were never anchored in full truth in the first place. Now, I know the tension. Somewhere along the way, we've started believing that we cannot have truth and love at the same time. Nonsense. I love my children. I'd step in front of a truck for them. But I don't agree with everything that they do. Come on. You can hold tension. The problem is, is that we actually have to hold tension. And I understand where we're all at. How many of you would agree with me? It's tiring right now. It's exhausting. It's hard. But I don't think any of us showed up to church today just to get a warm blanket. And I'm hoping today that you hear a pastor's heart on this issue. Because how I approach a lion is a big deal. I want to take us to the third and last point. So if we understand that we do not behave our way, or we do not believe our way, or behave our way into believe, beliefs, but we believe our way into behaviors, and Christianity is not a Mr. Potato Head, then does this message like get positive and encouraging in any way whatsoever? The answer is yes. Here's the third point, third truth. Love doesn't leave us where we are at. Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. At dawn, he went to the temple again. And all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. I want to help us understand what this means. A lot of scholars and theologians would agree at this cultural moment that literally the Pharisees knew this woman's patterns and were searching out for her so they could catch her in the very act of adultery, bring her in front of Jesus so they could trap Jesus. The Bible tells us that they figured it out. They did it. Literally, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. That's what scripture tells us. So in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They asked us to trap him in order they might have evidence to accuse him. So Jesus stooped down and started writing in the ground with his finger. I've always wondered, what was he writing? Like, was he like, these guys are just nonsense right now. Was he playing tic-tac-toe? What do you say? He's writing. And when they persisted in questioning, so he's ignoring them. Jesus was savage that way. He stood up and he said to them, the one, (laughs) I love it. Could you imagine? He's just drawing. Tic-tac-toe. He's playing against himself. XO-XO. He beats himself. He's like, ah. (laughs) so then he stands up because he's like "Ah, I beat myself again so he stands up and he says 
the one who is without sin, cast the first stone. And then the Bible says that he goes back to writing. This time he goes, mic drop. One who is without sin, I want you to throw a stone at her. So he stooped down again and he continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only, I love this, only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. And he says, neither do I condemn, uh, neither do I condemn you, said Jesus, period. Now, Many of us have heard this piece of scripture before and what happens is we leave this part off right here because we can't handle the next sentence. We love the Jesus who loves us. We love the Jesus that we just sang about. Too good not to, right? We love the loving Jesus, the one that finds us in all of our muck, in all of our mire, in all of our mess. But Jesus is not stopping at the period. He goes on and says, now go, And from now on, do not sin anymore. So here's the truth that we need to understand is that Jesus loves us right where he finds us, but he loves us enough not to leave us there. And here's what I wanna submit to us today is that many of us have fallen more in love with the Jesus that leaves us in our stuff than the one who's called us to freedom. And I wanna say this as loud and as clear as I possibly can. That's an abusive Jesus. That's an abusive Jesus. That's a dangerous Jesus. How many of you know right now, if all of a sudden my three-year-old daughter came running down this aisle because she was playing and she fell, she gouged her knees and she got cuts and No one knew it, but there were shards of glass outside when she fell, so it cut her up real bad. There's dirt and there's rocks in it. She's bleeding and she's crying and she's just a mess. How many of you know if she came running down the aisle right here, right now, all of you seeing, and and I'm using very descriptive imagery right now because I need us to understand this because this is how some of us came into church today. And if she came running down the aisle right now, all the rest of us would be looking around and be like, What is going on with her? And your hearts would leap towards her and you would feel this love for her. And could you imagine you're waiting for Jason, her father, to jump off the stage, which I would, and I would come down and I would say, Eliana, what happened to you? My goodness, you are mad. Like, what can I do for you? You're so messed up right now. And I would be worried and I would be broken on the inside and I would be empathetic and I would be all of those things. And you'd be like, yes, he's such a good father. Until I turned around, left her in there and said, good luck with that. You would call CPS. Why? Because someone who leaves you in your brokenness in the name of love is not loving you, they're abusing you. So a good father says, wait a second. And he doesn't just meet you right where you are at, but then he picks you up in his loving arms and says, listen, I know this little hospital, it's called my word. And when I bring it to you, and when I put it in your mind and I put it in your heart, it'll change you, it'll heal you, it'll do something new in your life. 
a good father. Somehow we've gotten away from the truth of that and we go, well, you can do whatever you want in your life. I love you. God loves you. Be chill right here. Church, I need us to understand today that that's not love, it's abuse. And that's not God. Telios means that he meets us right where we're at. He picks us up. And sometimes we are so jacked up and so messed up that he has no other option but to pick us up and carry us. And he walks with us step by step. He's like, oh man, that hurts. Just another step. It hurts. Another step. And as soon as we've been walking with him long enough, he says, you ready to walk a little bit now? And he puts you down. And he holds your hand. And you hobble with him. So he hobbles with you. He never outpaces you. He never tries to get you to somewhere that you don't need to be in the time that you don't need to be in. So he'll walk with you. He'll limp with you. He'll hurt with you. He'll go through all those things. But he still won't leave you there. And you're going to be limping and you're going to be walking for a while. And then all of a sudden he's going to start to see like, okay, you think you got this? So let's, let's go one hand. Let's walk a little bit more with each other. Can, can you, you know, because I believe in you and I, and I, and I love you and I've created you as, an, as a masterpiece. And, and I've got some things for you that I want to see you engage in this side of heaven. But you got to keep on, keep on walking with me. And sooner or later he's, he's walking with you. He's walking with you. And then the, the amazing part is that the Bible tells us that he puts his spirit inside of us. The Holy Spirit now gives us the power and the ability to then hold up. And wait a second, I'm walking, and he's cheering you on from heaven. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is interceding for us. And he's saying, you can do this, son. You can do this, daughter. And you're like, wait a second, I can. Why? Because I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. And he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And because of that, I can stand. And because of that, I can walk. And because of that, I'm set free. And because of that, I have the power and the ability to do everything that he's called me to do. I'm gonna invite everybody to stand to your feet right now. Jesus. Come on, let's lift our hands to heaven in this moment. It's a holy moment for some of us in here. Jesus. Jesus.